0: This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today as our guest, we have Chase Kenner. He's an associate broker with Raincatcher, and he's a certified financial planner. Chase, tell us a little bit about how you got here and what you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you for having me. So I was born and raised in New Iberia, Louisiana, home of Tabasco. That's our claim to fame. I graduated from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. So proud, rage and Cajun business administration. Right before I graduated, I actually received an offer from Edward Jones investments to be a financial advisor within their corporate headquarters in, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So I was super excited at the time to leave South Louisiana for the first time. And it was just an amazing experience. The boy from the bayou went to the big city and down by the uh, Chaffa swamp, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we're known for the Bayou Tesh in New Iberia, beautiful little town. But yeah, so I ended up moving to St. Louis and it was a tremendous experience, made some lifelong friendships. But as a guy who likes to hunt fish, cook and drink beer, home was calling me. (laughs) And turns out that yeah, South Louisiana was where I wanted to start my career. So I, I moved back to Lafayette, Louisiana, where I currently reside. My wife and I and our two children and I became a fiduciary. Independent advisor. And then I'd say four years later, I lucked out. I was at the right place at the right time and met this uh, incredible group of guys that founded, I'd say, the top five wealth management firm in Louisiana. And they were looking for to bring in a a younger advisor. And what intrigued me the most was that this particular firm, their desire was to grow inorganically through acquisitions. And originally, I was meant to be just another financial advisor, but uh, our managing partner, who I still see as a personal role model, um, very smart, great guy. He, he saw something more in me and gradually involved me as a leader and, and implementing necessary operations in order for them to scale and grow. So it was very exciting, new territory for me as well. So my first experience in M and A, which was also industry specific and on the, the buyer side of things. But once I became part of the M and A team, I find myself more excited in planning the firms in organic growth rather than the typical day-to-day financial advisory role. It's just something that ended up happening organically and then one day a good friend of mine and my my good fishing buddy Jude David who I I know you've met tells me that he's now with this amazing business brokerage firm called Raincatcher. And where they help entrepreneurs buy and sell businesses. And I was very intrigued. I learned more and I immediately thought of all the business owners that I was serving as a financial advisor and a certified financial planner at the time. And I knew that many of these people would benefit from this information I was receiving from Jude. So after learning more and trusting his judgment, I was fortunate enough to meet our CEO, Marla DiCarlo and VP of brokerage, Jason Thomas I immediately just saw their passion for small business owners. It was so contagious and motivating just to hear them speak about how they're really just changing the game of business brokerage and and uh, setting the bar really in the entire industry. And so shortly after that, an opportunity presented itself for me to join as an associate broker with Raincatcher. And here's this opportunity of two things that I love most. One, helping small business owners in that also that, that M&A environment that I grew to love as well. And and so to me, it was a no-brainer and here I am talking to you.
0: You know, I think about your commentary is they're growing, when people hear inorganic growth of a financial management firm, mm-hmm. it's where they go out and acquire other practices and they start aggregating the practices for asset growth, for lack of a better term. And so you had basically a foreshadowing of what you're doing now because you were involved in the acquisition of small businesses at that point to bring in to a larger firm. And then you saw probably the gamut of really well-run practices and the other ones. Yeah. As you think about contrasting the companies that when you guys brought them on board, go, wow, that was really an amazing company versus it's a good thing we bought them because they would have probably gone away if we hadn't. Mm what was the chief characteristics that you saw in those companies that you see now working with other business owners?
1: Great question. So I see a ton of similarities. I think that in having that buyer's lens with the integrated growth and the acquisitions from wealth management firms, I was able to really see the risk involved for a buyer. There's just a ton of risk when you're acquiring someone else's company. But as far as the The characteristics of the business owners, whether it be a financial firm or manufacturing company, a construction company, a lot of times you would have a business that the business is the owner. And so it's just a very, very difficult transition when you're trying to detach that business from the owner. And a lot of times it would be an individual like in the financial advisory world who just was not entrepreneurially minded was fantastic at building relationships, was phenomenal at building relationships and had trusted clients that trusted him and was really great at managing their money. But just the thought of leaving maybe the wire house or any other broker that was overseeing them just really frightened them to think, well, now who's going to pay the light bill or who's going to be in charge of payroll or all of those questions would go through their head. So I see similarities with sometimes we'll come across a a company that it's a really great company, but it is the owner. The owner is just so involved and meshed within its entire operations and networking and uh, customer base to where there's a lot of work to be done before that business can potentially be attractive to oncoming buyers. I think about, like you're talking about, says the owner is the business.
0: Without the owner, you don't have a business. And then from the buyer's eye and the acquiring firm, you go, how do we acquire the firm and basically keep their customers from not going out the door? Very much like any other business that has a client concentration risk. And I would imagine, like most of the investment firms, 80% of their business comes from 20% of their clients, probably, and you see that a lot. So for you guys, when you're looking at an acquisition previously and you had the owner of the small firm was the business did you structure that much like an earnout where they had to stick around to for transition
1: yeah definitely an earnout was typical during these transactions these firms were always 100% fee based so we did have great projections of revenue moving forward with a risk of market fluctuation obviously and what i mean by that would be just a fee attached to the account So however many assets that the firm has, a fixed fee would be attached to those assets. And that's how we would project the revenue moving forward. I mean, I think about what you were doing. Mm -hmm. What a super
0: preparation for what you're doing now. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when you're talking to business owners now, the business owner gets in touch with you and you're chatting with them about their business and you go, we've seen acquisition strategies for business owners and you see the similarities between the investment practices that you were acquiring to build a bigger firm mm-hmm. and you see the challenges with meshing cultures. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go, how do you take and preserve the client relationships? And I think all of those things, when you're a seller looking for somebody to chat with them about what, who may be acquiring their company, you can talk very directly based on your experience on what you've seen from, you know, the deals that went really, really well. And the ones that you looked at and you go like, well, didn't quite see that one coming.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much emotion involved, obviously. These financial advisors that we're speaking to, their business is their baby, just like any other business owner. That's their book of business that it took them 30 years to achieve to this level of success. And they worked really, really hard for it. And they've created these amazing bonds and relationships with their clients. And Not only are you managing those expectations and emotions with the owner, but with the clients as well. Clients walking in and saying, I feel like you're losing control. What's going on? How will my investments be handled from here? Because a lot of times this is the only amount of money these clients have to sustain for a retirement or whatever it is. So it's their nest egg. So there are different levels of emotion, especially on the financial advisory side when it came to acquisitions that we really had to be great listeners. And it took a lot of time of getting in there and finding out exactly what sort of service these customers are used to. And how did this advisor who was captain of the ship, how did he steer? How did he operate? And I think about as
0: you've transitioned away from that, right? And so you're talking to business owners all day long right. that are considering it. So when you have a business owner called you now and go, I'm thinking about, what is that initial conversation look like? And once that conversation is made, if they want to start going further down the road, what does that process look like from your perspective?
1: Yeah, great question. So I had a lot of experience as a financial planner and certified financial planner with those types of phone calls before. Even though I'm new to Raincatcher, I took on hundreds and hundreds of calls with where it would start with, hey, I'm planning to do X. So it's definitely, the call is very similar with Raincatcher. I get a phone call from a potential seller thinking about, I need to sell my business and they really have no idea where to start. They usually just find us online. And then now we're having a conversation about, about their baby, right? About their business. And so it's a lot of discovery. I ask a lot of questions to figure out exactly what their goals are. Everyone is different. Everyone has different goals and objectives and values. I think values are more important. They tend to not change so much. Goals will change, as life changes, but especially their values and, and just figuring out what an end result looks like to where if we do go down that road and sell that business, how do we make sure that they're satisfied at the finish line?
0: I think about the potential business owner that's out there and he goes, you know, I may or may not want to sell. And, you know, I'm kind of at a crux. I've got to take in and start looking at my business when you get a typical, I don't know if there's a typical call, but if there were the top one or two things that you think that the business owners they call in are surprised about,
1: what do you think they are? Very great question. I would say one surprise that comes up often is the amount of time it takes to sell a business and how much work is involved in selling a business. It's not just like you're listing a piece of furniture on Craigslist, a nice house or something like that. It's a very, very intricate process and a lot goes into it. A lot of gears and parts. So I think explaining that process to them and really educating them on what it takes to sell a business successfully and create that environment of bringing quality buyers to the table and creating a good quality market for them really drive up the price of their business. And so educating them on that process. And then I'd say also one thing that sort of surprises them is how the deals are often structured. Many times they're expecting just someone to just write them a check, 100% cash or going back to what you were talking about earlier with earn-outs, performance-based metrics of getting paid. A lot of times, they're really not aware of how those deals are structured. And so educating them on those things as well to where everyone's on the same page and setting realistic expectations. I was thinking about in the CFP
0: world, it can be kind of a questionnaire-type discovery, documentation, or process. And you guys have that as well with Raincatcher, do you not?
1: Yes. Yes, we do. So from the very start, a business owner will be asked to take this 13-minute assessment. Uh, it's made by ValueBuilder. It's a sellability assessment. And it's a fantastic questionnaire that will basically benchmark the business owner's company based on its industry and its peers and provide it a score, a sellability score to see how sellable the business is. Unfortunately. Most businesses just that go to market end up not selling because maybe the business was too attached to the owner or just wasn't priced properly, wasn't marketed well, whatever the reason might be. Majority of businesses that actually go to market actually do not end up selling. And so one of the tools that we've implemented at Raincatcher in order to prevent that statistic from leaking over to into our business and uh, we really flip that statistic upside down. One of the ways we did that was by implementing the sellability assessment to really figure out the nuts and bolts of the business and find out how attractive it may be when buyers start to look at the business.
0: You know, I Think about the value of that discovery, right? And so let's say that you have a whole series of levers within that sellability document. And you talk to the business owner and you go, you know, you really have a client concentration issue. Or you might have a really short contract issue, or you might have policies and procedures and intellectual property issues. We always hear you should have good financials, right? I always said, well, I should be taller, but you're know, like, well, I know. yeah, you know, I, go, I don't know if that helps. But you know, as you think about when you talk to the business owner with the benefit of having that assessment in front of you, what types of insights or discussions do you have post the questionnaire? with that business owner that's really serious about moving forward?
1: Yeah. So the conversations, I think, go quite well. At first, I didn't know really how they would take it because you're sort of pointing out flaws with the company, right? And so I think it was the way it's presented, it makes for a really great conversation because it's not just saying, oh, no, buyers won't like this. It's actually, it goes more In depth by explaining why this may be a risk through a buyer's lens, right? And it's very important because most sellers are so disconnected from what the buyer is actually getting themselves into and and the risk involved of buying their business. And so I think it provides a really great, realistic conversation about these different metrics. And so you could apply these different key drivers to sort of a valuation range. And you can say, well, realistically, if you think you are worth 20% more, We feel that this is the drivers that you need to really concentrate and hone in on in order to get there. And maybe you can maybe in six months or so. We just aren't confident that you're there now. I think it sort of eases us into that conversation without anyone really getting too defensive and just pointing out what is.
0: I think there's a pretty big disconnect between the owner that's run its business for 20 years and their view of their risk in the company versus Mm -hmm. a buyer coming in and going, I want to buy this particular company. And you go, well, I don't know your top clients really well. There's a lot of things, the unknown. So I think it's challenging for the business owner that's been submerged running his business Mm. to step back. Would I buy my own business if I didn't know anything about it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Very well said. I mean, that all the time. I mean, we're dealing with that every day. So finding those different and the personalities of each business owner is completely different as well. So. Just finding out how do we take them by the hand and step back, really, and get out of the day-to-day and really look at this from a buyer's lens is a lot of what we do.
0: I just thinking, you know, like, so uh, the business owner, A, right, and he says, you know, I have this price in mind, whatever it is. Go, my neighbor down the street, my CPA, my somebody said it should be worth this much. Then you take a look at it and you go through the assessment and you go, you know, given the assessment there's some areas that you can work on that will increase your chances to get to that target price that you're looking at. If you were to look at the top one or two things that you're running across that business owners that are listening could work on, what do you typically see that maybe they don't see?
1: It's funny because we joke have clean financials and all those things, but it's really true. And look, Business owners, it's quite common that you're going to run personal expenses through your company and save to help yourself with taxes and so on. So you have to do the opposite when it comes to selling your business. At the end of the day, uh, buyers are going to want to know that true cash flow. And it's so important that you show that. And so you really want to think the opposite of the way. So many times when these conversations, it's getting them to really bookkeeping has to really be flipped. You have to adjust your cash flow. You have to show what the company is actually doing performance-wise, and that way you can maximize your earnings and maximize your selling price. So it's really changing that mindset that they've been so used to uh, for decades.
0: I think about the time frame for the business owner, and I think for many business owners, they're so busy just with the day-to-day keeping business, keeping clients, pay, making payroll, keeping up with all the regulatory changes. I think that's really busy for them. And I don't think they step back and look at the value creation process that happens and the effort it takes prior to sale. You know, like we talk about good financials and the last thing you'd want to have in financials, I think from a buyer's perspective is a surprise. You Mm. go through and do your due diligence. You've seen a number of these. What are the typical surprises that you've started to run across That throw up red flags for a buyer.
1: Yeah, great question. So something different from many of our competitors that we do at Raincatcher is we're taking thirty to forty-five days or however long it takes to prepare them for buyers. So we're not even going to market or launching to market unless we know that all the skeletons have come out of the closet and really we've prepared everything and have it all in a good light for buyers. So we tell our sellers, look, this is a partnership. You're going to partner with us and we're really going to get into the weeds of this business and we're going to know it well because being a success-based firm, it really matters that we partner with the right businesses. And so fortunately, our process has helped us eliminate many of those surprises down the road. So taking that 30 to 45 days of just due diligence on the sales side, due diligence has been really successful for us and our clients by saving us four to six months. If when buyers start to come in and start seeing surprises, because they're already spooked, they don't know this business, all those risks are are running through their minds as well. And so any little thing will definitely scare them off. I was thinking as you were talking about that process
0: of getting all the data pulled and getting all the information to you guys so you can understand and go, these are all the things that we see. When you talk to the business owner, do you think they're surprised about the amount of work and detail that you guys ask?
1: Yes. Yeah. I really think that they are blindsided by it. No matter how much we try to drill into their heads, these realistic expectations in our process, once they turn that machine on and they give us the green light to go, I think that sometimes some can be quite surprised. And like I said before, many different personalities. You have some that are almost drill sergeant like, and here you go. This is what you need, super organized and responsive and others. You literally, some, I feel like I need to get on a plane, go there and just drag them around (laughs) and say, Mm -hmm. this is what I need. This is what I need. Different levels of focus for sure. Yeah.
0: I think about for the business owner, you know, they've got all the stuff. They finally got it all gathered up. It's congruent. They've got financials and so on. It strikes me that they may underestimate the emotional response to the selling process where some buyer may show up and basically disparage their favorite child, their business. For you guys, you see the emotional swings. What do you guys do to help that business owner manage that emotional response?
1: Great question. I think the reset button is always really just going back to the goals of the client to remind them, hey, this is why you're doing this your goals, your objectives, you want to if it's fish every day and hang out with the grandbabies, they need to stay focused on that and it's really easy to get caught up in the whole process and maybe get overwhelmed as well. Uh, I had a lot of experience dealing with that as a financial planner and you always use the analogy of your goal is the house we're trying to build and the investments that we use to get there or the process we use to get there or all the tools and the team And that final product is the end result. It's the home that we're trying to build for you. And so just that needs to be the focal point, not what the market is doing or not what all the little things that uh, are in between. Just to have them focus on that end result is very, very important. And I think when it comes to selling a business, the same thing, that end result is seeing them to the finish line and selling their business to someone worthy of taking that business on. And in return, they get to fulfill those goals and objectives that we really spend time on learning about and and getting to know because we want to help them get there. That's our job. is really to help them fulfill their goals. I was thinking about as the business owner that shows up, right? And I don't know
0: if they think it's like selling a house, have my house, find an agent, sell the house, walk Mm -hmm. away. And I think from my understanding in the business sale process, that it really is a process. There's that commentary that, Many of the business sale deals fail multiple times on the way before success, whether the Hmm. buyer walks away or whether the market goes upside down or any number of things. So when you're talking to the business owner, when you talk about that it's a process, not a destination, Hmm. how do you find that business owner responding to that kind of commentary?
1: That's a great question. I think they get it. I mean, each one is just so different. Like I said, if things do become overwhelming for them, that's an opportunity for us to make sure we're still on the same page. Maybe they're having second thoughts, or maybe the grass wasn't so greener on the other side like they thought it was. Maybe something just changed within their goals or their family. So I think the conversations and the relationship have to go beyond just broker-client. To be an advisor and get to know what's going on throughout the entire process. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to help them live a lifestyle. At the end of the day, after the transaction, a lot of times these are individuals who are retiring and this is their nest egg. And liquidating this business is the only tool that they have to really diversify their income and retire on. So yeah, I think it's just really focusing on the client and having to stop every now and then as the the broker to have those conversations and make sure that, hey, or are we still on the same page? Are we still on track? Or do these goals still make sense for you? I was thinking as you back, you were commenting on the team, right? Mm.
0: You're on the seller's team, but you also have a really extraordinary depth of field of people within Raincatcher that's also on the team. If you've got some comments about the depth of those folks, and in fact, you're fishing buddy.
1: Yeah. Jim. Yeah. No, yeah. Heck of a guy. I mean, he's super intelligent. I leverage his intelligence all the time. Sometimes I'm selling Jude. (laughs) Well, he's
0: got a depth of experience from doing M&A. You've got a depth of practical experience from doing acquisition on practices to aggregate. And I would think that's a strategic purchase as I would think about those practices. So you're experienced in the strategic acquisition space.
1: We definitely work well together. I can give you a real-life example as Jude, the senior broker, who was previously a merger and acquisitions attorney and has seen tons and tons of deals, and myself as an associate broker on the deal. So every seller would get a team, a senior, and associate, and a broker support specialist working with Raincatcher. And working with Jude or any other senior broker, it's definitely a great relationship because my role in the beginning is relationship building. And really getting to know the business, getting to know the business owner, that discovery phase like we spoke about and knowing exactly who the right buyers might be and hands on with marketing. And Jude, as a senior broker with a ton of M&A experience as well, he really comes in on the back end and just provides just a wealth of knowledge as far as what type of buyers are out there, what type of terms and deal structure we can expect to come our way. And you're dealing with a lot of buyer interest. By Raincatcher, we're casting a wide net, but also able to gather the attention of really quality buyers, coast to coast. You guys have
0: a—we didn't talk about that. You guys have an extensive buyers pool or inventory.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have thousands of vetted buyers who are cash ready, looking for a specific industry. So we do things quite differently. We just don't hand over information to these buyers that give us a call. We actually vet these buyers and see if they are serious about acquiring a company and we get to know them quite well. So, we have a great process in place, a great team on every transaction, on every deal, and our backgrounds and our roles are really I think come in handy as we go down the road with our clients, with our customers. I
0: was thinking about having talked to some of the other folks.
1: I mean, you have M&A
0: experience, you have folks in the real estate development business. You know, Marla was ran a, a fractional CFO firm forever, was a CEO yeah. of a company. I mean, so you have this really broad pool of talent. And I was thinking, so for the business owner goes, so, okay, walk me through how this looks. So they go through the sellability assessment, all right? Then they have a discussion with you. And then there's the fact-gathering component. And so you get all that to that point. What are the next steps between getting that gathered up and getting the business closed? What do those steps look
1: like? Yeah, great question. We start off with a kickoff call and they get to meet the full team. And so we introduce the senior broker, the broker support specialist, and we have a, what's called an FAQ where we are asking them a ton of questions about their story, their business, their customers, how they've acquired their customers, suppliers, you know, all of those necessary questions. And we're asking this all through a buyer's lens as well we're gathering a bunch of material so our copywriters and our marketing team can come in and create what's called a confidential information memorandum. We call it a SIM because it has a very long name. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. But this is a 30, 40-page document like a prospectus that highlights the business, provides a SWOT analysis, financials, provides the story of the business. It's a fantastic professional piece that you would see on the level, I guess, of investment banking or a company launching an IPO. So we're creating all this marketing and concurrently we're also doing our due diligence within the financials. So we have a third party auditor that comes in. And so we have an unbiased recast of the financials, maximizing the earnings in order to adjust the cash flow, show the true cash flow of the business. And now once we've completed that process, which is 30 to 45 days or so, then we're ready to launch and go to market. And every business is different. But we try to, like I said before, we we do cast a wide net. There are different approaches that we take. One is our internal network, those thousands of buyers that we spoke about. It's a proprietary network of buyers that we have. We know exactly their spending limits and what they're looking for, what kind of deal they're looking for, and industry as well. We take advantage of the digital scene, biz by sale, axial a lot of classified websites that we will also take advantage of and google ads and So a lot of different approaches that we take. And we also get to know the owner really well and figure out what sort of synergistic or strategic buyers might be out there and create a list of those as well. And that's more boots on the ground, just giving them a call and letting them know of an opportunity that's out there. And throughout that entire process, we really have to keep confidentiality in mind. And, and it's very, very important that this business continues to operate smoothly. Financials remain healthy. Revenue remains healthy. Relationships with their employees and relationships with their customers and suppliers. And we want to make sure that we don't rock the boat at all because this is a heck of a business. And the business owner gets to concentrate on that while we're doing all of this stuff in the background. And also making confidentiality a priority. So once we go through that process, really the easy part for us is really finding that buyer, probably that first 20% or so. And then the real work begins after that. So it's really vetting these buyers, really filtering them out, seeing who would be a great fit to carry the torch forward for this business owner and its baby. And so figuring all those things out and then also helping the seller negotiate terms that align with their goals and what they're trying to accomplish after the transaction. There are many moving parts, a lot of levers in there, and we have a tremendous process that is great about just really not only setting expectations for the client and managing those expectations, but also creating a sense of urgency amongst buyers. I heard someone say before, a smooth-talking broker is not going to maximize the selling price of your business. It's going to really be a process that can create deal tension and competition amongst buyers. That's what a market is. And so you want the right buyers at the table at the same time competing for your business. And so we really do a great job of pushing timetables on these buyers, creating that sense of urgency and that competitive nature that we feel really maximizes the selling price at the end.
0: Well, you, know, you were talking about employing copywriters to tell the story of the business. And I think as far as for many of the business owners, I think that's interesting. It's probably maybe the first time somebody ever saw somebody tell the story of their business and what it means and the highlights of the business. And I think for the buyer, buyers, everybody likes the story because then it helps you visualize what you're getting ready to do. So I think that's a value for you. Looking out in the business space, if there's a business owner out there right now going like, well, I'm not really sure. What advice might you have to the business owner that's considering, says, I don't know if I want to sell this year or next year. I'm not really sure how much time it'll take. And I really don't know what are the drivers of what creates more value in my company. What advice might you offer to that business owner?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's a bunch of questions. Sorry. <laughs> going on. Yeah. That's what makes it so great. Yeah. I think that another part of our job really is to let business owners know that they have options. There are many different options. You don't have to just sell your business. So we have different conversations with different people just because they may think they want to sell. And then we go down that road, we have that conversation, then come to find out, well, they planned on sticking around for two, three more years. So- maybe selling is not the best thing to do right now. But yeah, so I think it's really just figuring out and it always goes back to figuring out those goals. What are they trying to accomplish here? Because they don't really necessarily know what options they do have.
0: They don't know uh, what they don't
1: know. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it's really a huge part of our job is just educating them on these options. And for example, more or less, created these fantastic relationships with these affiliates and when we call it value building. And so many times the business might not be necessarily ready to exit and not sellable. And so we can work with professionals who are experts at really creating value for the business and making a a strategic plan to exit in X amount of months or years to really maximize. I'm
0: sorry to interrupt. Those partners that come in, they'll say, okay, here's some key drivers in your business that... A buyer is not going to be that favorably impressed with. All right. So a partner comes in and helps the business owner address potential buyer eye deficiencies of better contracts, diversified sales effort, having a fractional CFO instead of no CFO, right. those kinds of things coming on board is what that value building expert does.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely every business is different and they're going to focus on whichever driver can really maximize their business. I mean, your industry has a lot to do with it, the way you're structured. But I think if there's a universal way of thinking about, you know, maximizing the value of your business, it would definitely be to separate yourself completely from your company. I feel that the most valuable businesses end up being the ones that are this machine that you've built and they're operating and they don't need you. If you can disappear for three weeks, three months, three years, and the business is fine and operating well, maybe every now and then you'll go and there's a gear making a little bit too much noise or something, or you need to add a little oil. And that's fine, but the more the business can sustain and the more that your baby doesn't need you, I feel the more valuable it becomes, definitely.
0: It's interesting. I think there's that old analogy, are you working in your business or on your business? Yeah. And I think for so many business owners, they're in it, not on it. And when they say, well, if you've built a business, you'd have some level of ego. You mm-hmm. gotta go, you know, I built it, I'm in charge of it, I got the best clients. It's You go, yeah, yeah, cool. But if you die, what? What happens? Yeah. And I think for the business owner, they're really, really smart people I admire business owners. They have the courage to build it and execute it employ all the people that they do. But it may be the only time they've ever sold their business. They may only do it once. And for you guys, you see hundreds and hundreds of businesses over time come to market. And so your perspective from the buyer's eye, looking at the guy that maybe this is his first time come to market, there's a distinct differential in value proposition from what you guys bring,
1: my opinion. Yeah, thank you. A lot of emotion involved with this career. Every day, we're starting that conversation all over again. It's a new business owner. It's a new person looking to sell. And so we go to square one every day with a new call. And it's emotional. I mean, I've only been with Raincatcher just a short while now, but I've had tons and tons of calls so far. And just every story is unique and different. You have no idea who you're going to meet next, which is also exciting and amazing. We are so lucky to be able to meet these business owners from coast to coast with amazing stories. They've done absolutely amazing things. And now they need help. And that's what really drew me to Raincatcher. Hearing the passion that Marla, Jason, Jude, everyone has to help these people is really why I was like, sign me up. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. And Being able to do that every day is just, it's a blessing. I think about, we've
0: been chatting for a while now, and one of the things I almost always fail to do, so I want this time, is how do people find you on social media?
1: Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. So you can just search for Chase Kenner, Chase like the bank, and then Kenner, K-E-N-N-E-R. Also, raincatcher.com. You can also email me at chase.kenner at raincatcher.com as well. I think about advice
0: that I would think for the business owner listening and said so if you're considering selling your business at some point whether it's closer in or a little further out I think that reaching out and touching base with you and going like let me assess let me do the sellability assessment just because I do the sellability assessment there's no cost for doing it it will tell you where my strong points are and the areas that I need to work on and you know and if that's a value enhancement that's pretty hard to step around. They have a conversation with you that have talked to multiple groups of various industries. And if you were going to take in and, and have a piece of advice that you would share with business owners that might be considering coming to market, what advice might you offer to them?
1: So I would say, do your homework, understand what this process is. So and it doesn't have to be us. If you have someone already that you've started conversations with and you trust, really, really get to understand what you're getting yourself into. We have a ton of information at raincatcher.com. We also have some e-learning courses, and we have just a team of people here to help you. It doesn't cost you to pick up the phone, give us a call, and really get a realistic sense of what it takes to sell your business and just understand that process because Unfortunately, industry-wide, there's a large number of people who, when they finally do go down that road and sell their company and they have some form of regret at the end. So I think it's really great to assemble your team, talk to your tax advisor, your attorney, your financial advisor, really figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish, and then bring in a broker that you can trust to have a conversation on that process and figure out, okay... If I go down this road and I get on the process of selling my business, will it even accomplish the goals that I need for myself? So I think really doing the homework and understanding everything involved, all the moving parts, and then ultimately figuring out whether or not it's going to fulfill your goals and objectives in the end.
0: I think the business owners, they certainly know how to run their business, but I'm not sure they recognize the value driver's that from the buyer's perspective necessarily. Hmm. Like, geez, can you be more absent from your business? You kind of go, well, that's not kind of the top of my list. But I think that's really good advice. And you have a unique perspective because you come from the CFP certified financial planning space, seeing typically business owners post-sale with assets to manage. Correct. You were inside that industry doing acquisition work and bringing on business owners where they were truly the business Mm. and the risk. And so I think your perspective is unique. I think it adds value to the process. And for the business owner out there that's listening, I would urge you to reach out and give Chase a call. And if you're interested in pursuing that topic, he's a great guy to talk to. Chase, I really appreciate you taking time. I love hearing the accent, so thanks for that.
1: (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No, it's
0: awesome. I grew up in the South, so I love the accent. So thanks so much for your time.
1: I appreciate appreciate it. it.
0: Thanks, Bob. Thanks Thanks for having me.